My family has been a part of First Baptist Norfolk for about four years now. Um, we've transferred in with the military and found this as our church home. Currently, I serve in the four-year-old's preschool class um, at Sunday 9.30, and I'm blessed to be a part of that ministry um, with my son in the class as well, and um, enjoy being able to serve with the preschoolers every Sunday. Prior to serving in preschool, I was a part of an adult life group. Um, I actually was um, a part of two separate groups in the church over the last four years. Um, one of them is the Sheltering Tree um, with Jean and Pat Breheim, and the other one um, we were a part of was um, One Accord with uh, Tom and Amy Mowell. Even though I'm serving in preschool and I'm removed from my life group, I've been blessed to have um, made connections within those life groups, both the Sheltering Tree and the One Accord class, um, and they continue to reach out to me to offer assistance while my husband's deployed, um, to um, just minister over me, to provide that um, comfort and um, companionship while he's gone. Um, and they're just such a blessing in our lives. And I, I honestly don't know what I'd do without the connections that I made in my life group uh, while my husband's deployed. I've been so blessed being a preschool um, four-year-old's teacher this year, uh, more so than I would have ever expected. Um, just in the smiles and the hugs that I get, in the connections that I've been able to make with the families, and just really feeling like I'm making a difference within the church and, and making an impact in the lives of young children. For me, my favorite part um, about being in preschool is just being able to be silly every single week in class with the kids, to be able to enjoy the children, um, to get to know their personalities and figure out what makes them tick and, um, and to make those connections with them. That, to me, is the best part. And of course, you get paid in hugs. They give you lots of hugs and love and, and affection. I heard the calling when I was sitting in church, and I felt like um, God was speaking to my heart and saying, you can do this, you can lead. And, and I kept fighting back and saying, I, I don't know if I can do this. This is, this is something so far outside of my comfort zone to teach in the preschool department um, because I love children. I love my children, but I, I just didn't know how I could minister to other children because um, it's, it was just so outside of my comfort zone. But um, if you're feeling that calling and you feel that tug on your heart, um, I just encourage you to, to step out on faith. That God, God has plans for you. God knows the plans that He has for you. And, and He'll prepare you um, for the lessons each week. And He will prepare your heart to minister to the children and, and let Him speak through you each week. And, and you'll, you'll be able to do it, I, I promise you. The great thing about our, our church is we have all of the resources that you could ever want and need um, to be able to teach preschool. Um, and we also have the best curriculum, I think, out there. The, the LifeWay series that we're using um, basically provides you a template each week for how to teach your class. Um, not only that, uh, there's some great mentors within this church who've been teaching and leading in preschool for years. Life groups matter because they're just a great um, way for you to make connections within such a big church. We're, we're part of a big church family, and it's a great way for you to find people who have common interests and who may um, have common struggles as, as you have. And um, I just truly believe that they're a great way to take a big organization and make it into a small group where you can get to know people on a personal level. I am Melissa Norwood, and I believe that life groups matter. Well, life groups do matter, and that's part of the uh, strategy of our church. And if you look at the napkin strategy, uh, this is how First Baptist Church Norfolk 
glorifies God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Our, our church purpose is very clear, and it's not, not complicated. We exist to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Christ. All right, so that's our purpose, but the strategy of how we accomplish that is the napkin strategy. And it's divided into three parts. The first part is the gathering. And, and this is what most of us are most familiar with. The gathering is what we're doing right now. It's gathered around the cross of Christ, uh, learning to love God, love others, and live the mission. And, and that's what we do in this room. It's what you do in your small groups, in your life groups. The reason life groups are so important is because it does make the church um, uh, brings the church in bite-sized pieces, and, and life groups uh, establish connections. If you're not in a life group and you've been a member of our church for a, a long period of time, you have missed being part of the church. You're, you're just in a large setting of people, and, and it's good. I mean, this is marvelous. I love being a large setting of people, but if you are not engaged in a small group community, then you've missed the church by and large. Uh, the church in small group, in life groups. That's where we learn to, uh, to, to love God, love others, live the mission in, in real life, in real time. Uh, and you do it in relationship with other people. Uh, one of the things that I just have to share with you today is we need 23 preschool leaders. Uh, and, and some of you might say, well, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give my time to babysit. Well, there is no babysitting that goes on in this church except with some adults. But other than that, <laughs> amen, uh, we don't babysit preschoolers. We, we, in everything, we want to lead the preschoolers to love God, love others, and live the mission. And our leaders in those preschool life groups, they're, they're not babysitting. They're going through curriculum. They're, they're helping those children through activities and lessons to to know who God is, to love God, to grow more and more in love with God, to love others, and so that they will be equipped and prepared to live the mission for God's glory. Uh, and, and, this is, uh, and this is the only other thing I'll say about that. Some of us are, you know, we are screaming mad about how bad things are in our nation. We want, you know, if a preacher would just preach a good message, it'd make everything better. Uh, and you, you don't really believe that, but you just want to hear that and and I can appreciate that. We, we, got, we got some tough times. But if you want to make a difference in our nation, can I just humbly suggest that you start in preschool? Here's the opportunity. You want to make a difference? Make a difference in the life of a four-year-old. I mean, let's, let's, start, let's start where it really does matter. And you have the opportunity to do that. 23, I, don't, I hope that we don't need 23 at the end of this day, but 23 individuals. And by the way, one of our uh, leading preschool leaders, uh, uh, Karen Foster, came up to me and gave me a book on Jonah. And I, she said, I've got a book for you. And I said, oh, great. And it's a book on Jonah. I haven't looked at it yet, but I think I can get through it in about 30 seconds. It's a great book, but it's, a, it's an inspiring. You know, it's one of these, one of these books. It, it, preschool teacher trying to help the preacher, right? Huh? And that's where the rubber hits the road. Listen, we need, we need you to invest in the lives of preschoolers, make an eternal difference in their hearts and their lives. And it will change this church and it will change the future of this nation if we invest ourselves, okay? So encourage you to be a part of that. Well, that's the gathering. It's what we're doing right now. It's what we do in our life groups. 
Um, but we also realize that the 312 Kempsville Road, that's, that's where these facilities are. These facilities, that's not the church. Some of, y'all, some of y'all have called this the church. No, this is a building. This is not the church. Never has been the church. It is a building that houses the church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. This is just building. This is just bricks and mortar, carpet and plaster and stained glass and screens and instruments. And, 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 and it's just a building. So part of our strategy is what to do with the church or how to help the church where it is most of the time. See, the church is most of the time not in this building, but outside the walls of this building. You, the church, you, you are either at home or you're in the communities. You're either in your neighborhood or you're at work. And so we have a strategy to try to help you and me uh, live the mission that God has given us at our home and in our communities. In our home, we begin with the principle that it is my job to help my children love God, love others, live the mission. That's my job as a parent. And we want that to be integral uh, to every aspect of our home life. We, we get together with family or those who are like family, and we learn together how to love God, love others, live the mission. But it's not only that internal focus, but it's also that external focus. We want to connect with our neighbors. My neighbor this week uh, challenged me. I'm not on Facebook for the month of August, um, but I, he told me, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but he told me that he challenged me to an ice bucket thingy. Uh, what a... Let's not clap about that. I, don't, I cannot confirm nor deny that he has given me that challenge. But anyway, it, it, now, but that's fun. You want to know, we have a relationship. Now, we're not best buddies. We don't go golfing together or anything. But we have a connection across the fence where we can have conversation, where he feels comfortable enough to put my name on his Facebook page and tell me to go get iced over with water or whatever it is. Oh, that's great. That's what we want. Those, those yard conversations, those yard moments where we're connecting with people in our neighborhood, having small talk. But the goal of that small talk, small talk is to lead to spiritual conversations, to get around what we call the kitchen table, get at the kitchen table with, uh, with our neighbors and, and talk about who Jesus is and why he matters to their life. And that's part of the strategy at our home. But then we have the communities. And the communities, that's where others live, work, and play. It's where people uh, who aren't like us gather. And we want to connect with them. And, and that's what Big Serve is all about. When next week we, uh, we do not gather on Sunday morning. And let me just kind of throw this out there for a second. Uh, some believe that because we're not meeting at 8, 9, 30, or 11, we're not having church on Sunday. That's insane. Because we've announced and we will gather at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. That, that is when we are gathered corporately next Sunday. To say we're not having church because we're not meeting at 8, 9, 30, and 11, oh, well, again, that, that's just not true. We are having church. And you want to show your commitment to the gathering as, as you know, oh, we've got to have church. Well, we are at 6 o'clock. So if you care that much, come at 6 o'clock. We'll have a time of worship and praise and celebration. It's going to be spectacular. You might say, well, 6 o'clock's too late. 
If the Washington Redskins play at 6 o'clock, it's going to be too late for you to cheer on the game? Just asking. We let our traditions, there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to meet for worship at 8, 9, 30, or 11. Nothing, or 12.30, by the way, there is a 12.30 worship that happens right after this one. I get to go preach it here in a few minutes. And I preach longer in that one than I do in here. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. No, that's fun, all right? But because we're not having worship at 8, 9, 30, 11, or 12.30 doesn't mean that we're not having church. That's a tradition that we hold dear. And it's good. It's important. I like having worship at those hours. But next week, we're having worship at a different time. And it does not in any way diminish the importance or the commitment of corporate gathering. We're just doing it at 6 o'clock. Okay? So that's the time we're meeting as a church. I encourage you to be a part of it. Okay? But Big Serve, next week we're not going to meet together. We're, we're, we're going to go through our community and serve the cities of Hampton Roads, uh, communicating to them the grace, the love, the mercy, the, the, the rescue that God offers. That's what Big Serve is about. And it's an opportunity for us to connect and to serve. And so I, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. We've already had teams who have been engaged tomorrow in, in serve projects. Tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be joining many of the other staff and, and, uh, and, and spouses, and we're going to serve a, 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 an elementary school in our uh, community. We're going to uh, serve the faculty of that elementary school. It's just going to be an opportunity for us to serve them. The question is, are you committed to serve? And, and, and today, my prayer is that you see the necessity of that commitment uh, and, and the necessity of you engaging in that commitment. Now, I know we don't have a lot of time. I don't need a lot of time for this message. So I'll take as much time as I need. But anyway, it's 1148, 1149. We'll be okay. All right, turn in your copy of Scripture to Jonah chapter 3 and chapter 4. Last week, we looked at how God calls us on mission. Now, that, that's last week. We saw Jonah 1 and 2. Jonah uh, is called by God to go to that great city, Nineveh, and proclaim the message that God had given him. And so Jonah doesn't do it. Jonah runs from God, and we learn that if you run from God's presence, I mean, run from God's mission, you're also running from God's presence. And many of us have been running from God's mission, and we've been running from God's presence. And God called Jonah to, to go. Jonah fled. And, and so God brought a, sto- a storm on the boat that Jonah was running away from. Uh, uh, he was running away from God on a boat. God brought a storm on the boat, uh, so much so that Jonah finally said to the sailors, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. And some of us have said that. I'd rather die than do what God wants us to do. I'd rather the church die than do what God wants us to do. So they throw Jonah overboard, and finally Jonah is drowning in the ocean. He's, he finally comes to himself, and he says, you know what? I really don't want to die, and I'd rather do what God wants me to do. So he cries out to God. This is Jonah chapter, three, uh, Jonah chapter 2. And he cries out to God for help and rescue. So God rescues Jonah by sending Monstro the whale to swallow him up. How many of y'all got the reference to Monstro the whale? Monstro. Who is Monstro. Pinocchio, right. They, they so robbed the book of Jonah to tell the story of Pinocchio. I mean, they just stole that straight from Scripture. Anyway, it wasn't monstro and it wasn't a whale. It was just a big fish. So God sends a fish to rescue Jonah from drowning. And then at the end of chapter 2, we see that the, uh, the fish spits Jonah out on dry ground. All right, so let's pick up 
chapter 3, that, not going to take a long time to look at this story, but I want us to look at the story and then see how it applies to us. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then, Jonah, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, let's stop right there. I know I don't have a lot of time, but I've got to stop on this one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's just stop there for a second. I am so thankful for a God of second chances. I mean, help me. I need the second chance. I am so thankful for a God who in his mercy, even in the midst of my own rebellion and disobedience to him, will swallow me whole with a fish, spit me out on dry land, then pick me up and say, now go do what I told you to do. And he gives me another shot at it. I am so thankful for a God of second chances, aren't you? And third and fourth chances. I'm so thankful for a God of second chances. I I don't have time to preach all that, but boy, that's good stuff, isn't it? So, uh, so then verse two, uh, the, the Lord said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk and, and he cried out and he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will, shall, shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid aside his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And God saw their works. Look at verse 10, underline it. Jonah chapter three, verse 10. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, big picture, God rescues us to serve him for his glory. That's why God rescues us. God, God rescues us so that we might serve him for his glory. God did not rescue us so that we could be fat and happy. He didn't, he didn't rescue Jonah so that Jonah could sit on the beach and tan. God rescues Jonah so that Jonah might serve God and serve others in serving God. Now, that's what God does for us. God, in his great grace, rescued you from sin's embrace. He purchased your rescue through Jesus Christ, his king, our king. Jesus came and he died for a sinner like you and me. And when he died for us, he purchased our salvation so that when we repent our sin and place our faith and trust in him, we can be rescued. But he rescued us not so that we can sit on the beach and sun, but he rescued us so that we might serve. And God rescues us to serve for his glory and he sends us to serve. He sends us to serve, just like he sent uh, Jonah again to Nineveh. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message that I've given you. God is calling you and me as followers of Jesus to serve. To serve by sharing the message 
of God's judgment. Yeah, God's judgment. You got to share the judgment, folks. You got to say that there is a consequence for sin, that sin separates us from God and will lead us to an eternal torment in hell. That's what sin does. We need to understand it's not just some personal psychological malady or, or, uh, or chaos in my soul. It is sin that has separated me from God. And if something doesn't change, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. We need to know that there is judgment. We need to share that judgment. But that's not the story you like to talk about, right? And, and even, though, even though I do not shrink or shy away from saying, yes, if your sin is not paid for, you will spend an eternity in hell, that's really not what I lead with. I usually, I usually don't go up to somebody at Starbucks and sniff them like this. I'm going to do Brian. I usually don't go, you smell like smoke. I think you're going to hell. You know, I don't usually do that. Probably not the best strategy, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree? That's just, you know, not something that I lead with, but I do share it. Sin separates you from God. And until you have that sin problem taken care of, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But the good news is that God has sent rescue your way. God has provided an opportunity for your rescue. We need to tell people that there is hope in the midst of the darkness, that they can have the light of life and the love of God surrounding their soul and swallowing up their sin and giving them a forgiven life so that they can live in newness through the death of Jesus Christ on a cross and through his resurrection from the dead. We can be rescued. God sends us to serve. He sends us to serve his love and grace and mercy and truth to those we encounter. Guys, that's what Big Serve is about. Big Serve is us going on mission, serving. Now, guys, you've got friends that you go to school with or that you will go to school with shortly. You have people that you work with. You have neighbors down the street. You have have, uh, uh, people on the ship with you. You, you, you have people all around you who are locked under the judgment of their sin. And God sends you to serve and to share the message of judgment, yes, but his rescuing love through Jesus Christ. God sends us to serve. And, and, and not only does he send us to serve, but, but when we go and serve, God ignites, God's grace ignites life change, a changed life. There are people that you encounter, they need their lives changed. They don't need a, a moral reform. They don't need a new a code of conduct. They need, they need their very lives changed. They need a transformation. You saw what happened in Nineveh. Jonah went through the city saying, yet 40 days and God's going to judge Nineveh and going to overturn it. It's going to throw it down. And the people believed God. God in his grace sparked in their hearts the faith to believe the message. And so they bent low in repentance and cried out to God for forgiveness. And God forgave. Their lives were changed. Do you realize that God gives us an opportunity to play a part in the changed lives of people around us? 
that we have the privilege and the opportunity to participate in God's gracious act of rescuing love and that God in His grace will ignite, spark faith in the hearts of those who are lost so that they can believe God, repent their sin, and be forever transformed. But the question is, does that really matter to you at all? I'm not a cynic. I'm an optimist. Always have been. Um, I'm pretty cynical about my own abilities and that kind of thing. A little cynical about that because I know myself pretty well, as you might imagine. But I'm usually an optimist. I'm an optimist about the church. I'm an optimist about opportunities that God gives us as a church. I'm, I'm pretty much an optimist until I get cynical. You know what makes me cynical? When people care about their people in the church care more about what they want than they do about people being saved. When people don't even care if somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, they, they like to talk, oh yeah, that matters. But they don't think about it. They're not gonna pay any prices for it. It breaks my heart. It makes me cynical. When we would rather take hold like Jonah of what we want than see people forgiven by a loving God. See, the big question, big question that you have to answer, that I have to answer is, do we really care about life change? We know God does. That's why he sent Jesus, to die for a sinner like you and me. But do you care? Are you so caught up in your correct doctrine and theology that you do not give a rip whether or not people get saved? You don't even think about it. You don't care. In fact, you would rather hold on to the comforts of your own self-interest and your own agendas and your own perspectives than see one person come to faith in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that's not me. Okay, it may not be, but it could be, couldn't it? A few weeks ago, I told the church, reported, and Julie uh, Hunt reported that we had uh, 50 some odd kids pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through Vacation Bible School. You know what? At one of our gatherings, there wasn't one person, not one person in that gathering that was excited about it, it seemed. They did no, no response, no words. You know why? Because they were mad about something else. That, that breaks my heart. Are you, am I so consumed with something that, that is not eternal, doesn't have anything to do with Scripture, has everything to do with my wants and desires, but is not biblical at all? Are you so consumed with that that you cannot, that I cannot celebrate what God is doing in changing lives? See, the real question is, will you be broken or will you be bitter? Jonah was bitter. I mean, he was mad. He was angry. You look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It displeased 
Jonah exceedingly. You know why it made him mad? Because he did not like how God was doing what God was doing. Didn't agree with it. Didn't think it was a good thing. Didn't think it was a good idea. So he was mad. Might I suggest that not one of us in this room has the right, the authority, or the ability to control what God does. And it would be far better for us to be broken of our pride before God than become bitter because we don't like the way God does things. Jonah just couldn't get over himself. He really believed that he was the most important person in the whole of the world at that moment. He was mad at God. Verse 2, he says, of chapter 4, he says, God, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh to begin with. I knew that you were a merciful God. You were compassionate. You were slow to anger. You were filled with abundant, steadfast love. I, I knew that, that you would relent, that if they repented, that you would give them a chance at rescuing God. That makes me mad. And I'd rather die than live in a world where God rescues sinners like the Ninevites. And some of us would rather die than be in a church where God makes you uncomfortable in order to rescue a sinner. And that's got to change. It has to change. It has to change for you. It has to change for me. Until we're more interested in what heaven is interested in. And we'll just be floundering around, fighting for what we want. Jonah was mad. You know, it never, the story never turns where Jonah gets happy. And I'm afraid for some of us here in the room today, that will be the legacy that you leave. It doesn't have to be. But I'm afraid it could be. See, all of us need a change of heart at some point in time or the other. As followers of Christ, we need a change of heart. We need God to get hold of us to rip us down to nothing. We need God to strip away every part of pride that so pervades our soul. Look, there, there is nothing boastful about being a proud person. There's nothing to brag on. That's nothing to be uh, celebrative of. If you're not known for your brokenness, if I'm not known for my brokenness, then I'm, not, I'm really not living this Christian life the way I'm supposed to. See, I should be more known for my brokenness than my abilities. I should be known more for my brokenness than my intellect or my charisma. I need to be known more for my brokenness than any other aspect of my life. You might say, well, where, do you, where do you get that idea? Three places in Scripture. Three places in Scripture, in Proverbs, in First Peter, and in James, they all say the same thing. 
God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'll go on and read James. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. God rescued us so that we might serve him. So that we might go where he sends. So that we might be a participant in this wondrous work of his grace to bring life change to those who don't know him. But we need a change of heart. We need to be broken. You might say, well, I don't have sin. The Bible says if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Isn't that what the Bible says? It's First John, isn't it? You say, I don't have any sin. Well, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. Isn't that what the Bible says? I mean, we need, to, we need to stop living in our own religious circle of pride. And we need to be broken. Guys, if we don't get broken, we're going to be bitter. And we're going to be mean. We're going to be hateful. Some of us would rather hold on to our bitterness Some of us would rather hold on to our bitterness than to be broken before a holy God. And that's just sad. Today, I invite you to be broken with me. To cry out to God for a change of heart. For our hearts to be continually changing. To cry out to the Lord to be broken before Him so that we can serve Him for His glory. Can I also say this? There is no point in time where you as a follower of Jesus don't need a little bit more brokenness. There's no time in my life where I don't need more brokenness before holy God.